Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. So they could feel the difference between the real money and counterfeit money. They would have them handle so much real money that when a counterfeit come, they'd be like, oh, that, that don't feel right. They just would know it. They've been handling money all day. You know, they've been handling the real thing and they just would know it. The false when it comes across, that's how it would be. Maybe better that you've been spending so much time in the pages of the word of God that you just know it. No, I know God's word says this. No, I know that the Bible says this. No, I know that Jesus is this. That when you hear something that's not true, you're like, eh, that's, that's a you know, heretic alert. You know, this, it would just go off in your mind. You would know right away that that's not true. Can you tell a fake dollar bill when you feel one? Some counterfeits are very realistic. Can you tell the true gospel from a false gospel? Today, Pastor Bill challenges us to be so well acquainted with the truth in God's word that we instantly spot false teaching. Knowing God's word is like guardrails that keep us from falling into a spiritual ditch on the side of the road. God's word lights our way. Let's learn of Jesus as we study the Bible, which will seal truth into our hearts and minds. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul's typical greeting in the New Testament was grace and peace. Um, here he throws in mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. And I want to just, each word real quick, grace is God's unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve, says, so God's grace, God's mercy. Everybody know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is when you, you sped by the police officer, you saw him see you, and then he let you keep going. Anybody felt that before? Did that feel good? I, feel, I don't know, I mean, I've seen y'all do it, you know, but it does. I've, I've actually done that where I, I mean, I sped by and I look and I'm like, that's the highway patrol. And I just come off the gas and then they just go on about that. Oh, man. Whoo. You know, mercy. Uh, didn't get what I deserved. I earned a ticket, didn't get it. God's merciful towards us. And so grace, God has given us what we don't deserve. Do we deserve Jesus? We don't deserve Jesus. Do we deserve heaven? I don't deserve heaven. Do I deserve to have God's peace and his favor and, and 24 hour access to him via prayer? Do I deserve any of that? No. But by grace, we have it. So we're not saved because we're great. We're saved because God's gracious and he's good to us. He loved us when we weren't lovely. Um, grace. Mercy. Um, what I should have got. Didn't get what I should have got. I should have been punished. Uh, there's a lot of things that I should have got from God, um, but I didn't get those things. I got mercy. Um, and as we're recipients of these things, right, this ought to characterize the believer. You've been a recipient of grace. You should be a gracious person. You've been a recipient of mercy. You should be a merciful person. And the result of it, he says, grace and mercy and peace. It's because I got God's grace, give me what I don't deserve. And because I've experienced his mercy, not getting what I do deserve, that I'm able to experience peace. I got peace with God. Not because I'm a great God, because I got a great God. And so if we take on these characteristics, we'll have the same thing between us. If I become gracious and extending to people what they don't deserve and I'm merciful and not penalizing people as what they deserve and not treating them according to what they've done. God said, you know, you have peace with people. Um, you'll be a peaceful person. Grace and mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. And who's it coming from? From God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I forgot what book I was reading, but it pointed this out. And I just want to read it to you real quick. It says that in the New Testament, the word Savior, we'll see it 22 times. And then it added that in the New Testament, we'll see the word Lord 522 times. And the idea was this, because most people want a savior, 
but not a lot of people want a Lord. Um, most people, Jesus Christ is my savior. I just know I'm saved from hell. I'm not going to hell no more. Everybody wants that. Nobody want to go to hell if you believe it, if you believe it exists. But you know what people don't want? I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want a Lord. I don't want, I want somebody all in my business. I want somebody telling me who I can be with, who I can't be with, where I can go, what I can do for fun. People don't want a Lord, but it just was interesting. The guy that I was reading this from said, wow, if, if, if you have to pay attention to that. If the word Savior is there 22 times, and it's a big deal. We all want a Savior, right? But the word Lord is there 522 times. What's God saying? What's he saying? What's he want to be? What's he saying to us? Yeah, that, that I, and I believe it works out this way. Some, some people have said it like this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, what is it? He's not Lord at all. Um, I've heard that many times. I do believe this. It's hard to believe that Jesus is the savior of a life that doesn't demonstrate that he's the Lord also. The Lord and savior. You see that coupled together many times that I'll see people that are clearly not under the lordship of Jesus. They do whatever they want, but then they claim the savior status. And I think that's a slippery place to be living in. If you're living in a position where Jesus can't tell you what to do, the word of God can't dictate to you how you live your life. The word of God can't redirect you on where you go, what you do, how you live. Then Jesus isn't Lord. And if he's not Lord, I don't know that you can claim him as savior because the evidence of belief is submission and surrender. The evidence that you have believed in Jesus is it's a submitted life. It's a surrendered life. Um, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that begins to make you hate what you used to love. Those are the evidences that God lives on the inside that you become a believer of Jesus Christ and you belong to him. And so the evidence of submission, surrender, conviction and transformation aren't there. I think that many people falsely believe that he's their savior. How many people have died and stood before the Lord expecting to be saved and not be saved? I mean, can we, we don't even know. But we do know in Matthew 7 that we got a very clear insight. God did this for a reason. There were some people that showed up on that day, right? Matthew 7 said they showed up. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of law. That means you guys continued to live in sin. I never knew you. And they started telling him what they were doing for him, right? They started saying, but, but Lord, we did many wonders and we prophesied. We were speaking for you. We did many wonders in your name. We did, we did wonderful works in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. I was never the Lord of your life. And so I look at that and I think, man, why were they serving? Like, what was the motivation for the effort and the work that they were doing if he wasn't the Lord? If they were going to go on and live a life of sin, we'll never know. But it should, I mean, I read those things and it should at least be a warning, right? That um, I want Jesus to be the Lord and then I know he's my savior. Amen. Lord and Savior. And so I just wanted to point that out to you and then we'll keep going. Now look at verse three. Again, Paul speaking. Um, this is opening to, of the letter of First Timothy. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some there that they teach no other doctrine. So in this first chapter, Paul is saying, look, I, I put Timothy here in Macedonia because people were coming in and teaching false doctrine. And I got to talk about this. One of the ways that the enemy seeks to infiltrate the church and ruin the work that God wants to establish in the church is to create groups that look just like the church, but they have a message that doesn't line up with what God says is the message to the church. And so one thing that Paul is telling Timothy is that, hey, I got, he's sending Timothy to areas and said, we got to, the one thing I'm always combating and always having to go after is fixing the message. The message is messed up all over. And so something that, you know, we've heard this in the world. If you can't beat them, what? Join them. Satan, that's what Satan do. Satan says, I can't beat this church. 
Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Satan said, I'll just join it. And I'll have people put up things that look just like church and we'll sing songs that sound just like church. But I'll take that message and I'll jack that message up. It won't be the message of the church of Jesus Christ. It'll be a different message. And there'll be people that come and, and they're just listening. They take it in and their lives are not transformed. And there's no evidence of God living in them. But they thought they had church. And so here and at this time, there were people coming. There was a particular doctrine that was coming in. The doctrine that they were fighting against was people coming and saying that just believing in Jesus alone, that's not enough. You can't be saved that easy. You got to do some works. You got to do some things to be saved. You got to believe in Jesus and you got to do these other things over here. And they call this group the Judaizers. They wanted to mix some of the Jewish traditions and the Jewish law with Christianity. It was just it was just too hard for them to swallow that somebody could just believe. And that was it. But that's how that's how simple the gospel is made, that you could just believe. And again, there'd be works that would come behind, but you could just believe to enter in. And that was just, they were having a hard time. They were coming up with different versions of the gospel. You see the same thing in the book of Galatians, where Paul had went to Galatia, led people to Christ. They were saved. They were walking in the fruit of salvation. Paul leaves and in his absence, these group, the Judaizers come in, jack everything up. Paul has to go back and he says, you know, he says, um, oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? I mean, you guys been bamboozled in my absence. Who did this to you while I've been gone? And because they had started going after this other thing. And so what we want to be careful of as believers, I think it's really important that we know what the gospel is, what it isn't, so that we make sure that we're believing the right gospel and we're all called to preach it. So as we're out there preaching the gospel, that we be preaching the right gospel. So he says here, I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the job that Paul's giving Timothy is that I want you to charge them, right? I'm not telling you to suggest to them. Timothy's in a place as a minister of the gospel where God, you're going to do some difficult stuff, Timothy. You're going to charge them. No, I don't teach that no more. That's the wrong doctrine. I don't want that taught in this fellowship. You're not going to teach that here. That was going to be Timothy's job. And so we should be aware as Christians because I, find, I feel like sometimes Christians, even the ones that know the truth, we want to be in this place where it's like, I just want to love everybody and I just want to be nice. I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue Bible stuff with people. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I can hear it's all wrong and I know the truth, but I know if I say it, you're going to get mad because you're already in the flesh. And so I'm going to just leave you with your error. Paul is telling Timothy, nah, man, you're a minister of the gospel. You got to say something. Now, do you got to say it mean? No. Do you got to get all nasty? No, but you got to say something. So um, there really isn't place for that version of Christianity where we just kind of stand by and watch people be wrong, particularly about the gospel. Right. Especially when it comes to the gospel, because if they believe in the wrong gospel, they end up in the wrong place. There's only one gospel that will save you. And so when we hear somebody and they believe the wrong gospel, we have to say something. Just if, They may not even receive it, but we at least have to speak up on it and say, I, I know you said that, but look, this is what it says. This is what it says you have to do to be saved. And um, uh, we left church Thursday night, me and BJ, and we stopped to get gas. And I'm stopping to get gas. I look over the thing and, and, and you know, you know, brothers, I mean, a guy looked me in my face and I looked at him in his face. And so I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, I didn't want him. I wasn't mad dogging him. So I started speaking to him and the guy said, I'm doing good, man. I said, you know, I just started a conversation about the Lord. And this dude got, I mean, 
you, you, I don't know if you've met people that just feel like they are so deep. This guy thought he was, I mean, if you could dig down into, you know, Saturn, I don't know. He, he thought he was super deep, you know, and he just started dropping all this stuff. He said, well, you know about this and about that. And, you know, we, you know where we came from, right? And I said, yeah, according to Genesis, we're created in the image of Almighty God. And he got this whole other explanation about where we came from and, you know, all these different things. And I'm listening and, um, and I'm trying to be patient, right? I don't want to argue. So I'm like, you know, this is my rule in evangelism, right? I'm going to give you time to speak and not interrupt you. So when you stop and I start, you're going to shut up too. And I'm going to say what I got to say. We're going to take turns. So I, I'm going to be a good listener. And then I'll jump in. And so we got done. And it went, it went on for long. BJ was sitting there listening to this foolishness. And BJ said, Dad, don't you just sometimes want to just tell him, like, just, you're just wrong. And that's it. And just to end out there. So I felt like that the whole time. Man. But, you know, we're just trying to give it to the guy, you know, trying to minister to him. You don't, it, it didn't, he didn't receive what I had to say, but he heard it. He heard it. Right. And I have to believe that God can come behind the truth. And God can send people to confirm the truth. God can buy his spirit. You know, it's the truth. It's his word. So God can work with the truth if you just give it out. My concern didn't need to be walking away that the guy seemed to not take him anything I said. My concern needed to be that, but he heard it. That was my job is to tell you. And you heard it and that was good enough. So sometimes that's the goal for us, guys, that they would hear it from you, that they would hear the gospel from you. They would hear the truth from you because you love them. Because you care, because you care about the truth. You care about them and their relationship with God that they have the opportunity to have. And so, again, he says, as I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And so what people end up doing that don't want to walk after the truth, they start digging into other stuff. He said endless genealogies and, and fables, stories, um, that, you know, stories and endless genealogies that that cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And you think about most of your false doctrines, the Mormons, they got this fanciful story of Joseph Smith and he was by the tree and something came down and then he got the books and God gave him a revelation. It's, it's a fable. That's a story. Can we prove that? Do we know that that happened? Is there any evidence behind that? No, 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 no. And no, it's a fable. And, you know, we got other groups with their endless genealogies and all this different stuff. God said, man, just stay away from that stuff. Don't get caught up in that. Don't give heed to that. And what does it mean to give heed? Don't be listening. Don't give your ear to that. Don't give heed to it. So something we got to be careful about as Christians, too, as we minister to other people. Um, some Christians have spend so much time trying to trying to understand someone else's false doctrine. So they're, they're giving heed to the, the fables and the stories and these things. Um, what we need to do is be so familiar with the truth that when you hear error, it just you just know it when you hear it. Um, it would be better. I would challenge anybody that the best thing you can do to combat error is to be well acquainted with the truth. Um, I heard a long time ago that when bankers used to start, you know, come to bank and, you know, to, to, so they could feel the difference between the real money and counterfeit money. They would have them handle so much real money that when a counterfeit come, they'd be like, oh, that's, that, that don't feel right. They just would know it. They've been handling money all day. You know, they've been handling the real thing and they just would know it. The false when it comes across. That's how it would be. Maybe better that you've been spending so much time in the pages of the word of God that you just know it. No, I know God's word says this. No, I know that the Bible says this. No, I know that Jesus is this. That when you hear something that's not true, you're like, eh, that's a you know, heretic alert. You know, this, it would just go off in your mind. You would know right away that that's not true. Why? Because it says it here. And so don't give heed to these things. Verse five. Now the purpose 
of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And you can note those three things. Paul is telling Timothy not to, not to endure these things, not to give heed to them, and to charge people to believe the right stuff. And he says, and this is the whole reason, Timothy, it's the purpose of this commandment I just gave you. The purpose is love. Um, it's not, you know, it's not argumentation. It's not pride. It's not so you're right and they're wrong. It's love and it's love that's flowing from a few sources. Look at this. Love, first of all, from a pure heart. Second, from a pure conscience, from a good conscience and from sincere faith. And I believe that needs to be the position of the believer and the minister, right? That, that we, we have a pure heart, that we have a good conscience and that we're walking in a sincere faith. Um, that that would be the position uh, as we're speaking to other people in ministry. Anybody have somebody try to minister to you that weren't walking in a sincere faith themselves? Kind of powerless, you know, kind of ineffective. Um, I remember at once in my life having somebody who was addicted to alcohol themselves tell me, what, lecture me, as a matter of fact, why I shouldn't drink. And I remember how that met me, you know, as a teenager. I'm listening to somebody who's, you know, you, you get drunk too, right? Telling me why I shouldn't get drunk. And it, it didn't minister. It didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear it and say, for real? Oh, I, you, thank you so much. I just, I just heard them like, man, you know, you, I, they could have just shut up. That's how it, they could have saved all them words. It didn't minister to me. Um, it, it wasn't very helpful. It just, it, it was annoying as a matter of fact. And so that's what the, the Christian that's not living the life, but that's speaking the life. That's how you taste to other people. They're like, I wish you would just shut up, you know? But, you know, you, we do know people that are living a sincere faith, right? And they speak to you. You have to hear, right? The guy that led me to the Lord, that was why I gave ear to him because I saw that there was a sincere faith. I saw when he got saved, I saw the turnaround. I saw him stop drinking, stop fornicating, marry the girl he was with. Like I saw his life go wham. And so when he's speaking to me, I couldn't throw his life in his face. So I had to listen. Everybody else I knew that was supposedly Christian that would start speaking to me, I could throw their life in their face. You know, I would just, I'd be having it right here, a handful of their life to throw back at them. Wham, oh, with, oh, but that's, don't you got a girlfriend? Y'all just, y'all celibate, for real, for real? Not, you know, just wham, throw it back at them, tell me nothing, you know? I had some of my family when I was, um, you know, I, when I, before I got saved, I lived with a girl that wasn't married, um, and they would say, you shouldn't be shacked up. And I'm like, I said, as a matter of fact, you shacked up three times that I know of, you know, you just aren't shacked up right now. So right now that you single, I shouldn't shack up. And that's I remember saying this back to his aunt that was, you know, she was feeling herself one day and told me I shouldn't be shacked up. And it was like not not very effective and <laughs> just not not hearing what you got to say. So Paul is giving Timothy some very important things. I want you to do these things. I want you to charge them this. I don't want you giving heed to bad doctrine. But he said, I want you to be in a certain place when you do it. The purpose of the commandment. Right. It's love. You love these people. And it's love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and a sincere faith that that you've received these things first. And out of love for them, out of a pure conscience, a pure heart, out of a, a, a out of a place of, of living it yourself, sincere faith yourself, that you can minister these truths very effectively. Verse six, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. And that's what happens when you stray away from the truth. Uh, you enter into something just idle, empty. 
And so some that have strayed from this have ended up in a place where they're where they've turned aside. And that word turned aside, it means they've turned away from the truth to this empty talk over here. And um, I've seen that happen before as a believer where somebody seemed to be doing so good in their walk and they get turned aside. There's some empty discussion over here. And there, there are even some doctrines that people get into that seem to suck the life out of the believer. They become all about this over here. Um, they just get turned aside from a sincere faith and, and a pure heart and a good conscience to, to doing those things. And so we want to be so careful about our own lives. Verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And so these teachers, as they were wanting to mix up the gospel with the law, Paul said, man, they don't even, they don't know what they're teaching. They don't even understand what they're teaching or what the things that they are affirming. And I always think that's interesting. There are are people that don't know very much, but they want to be teaching other people. Like the guy at the gas station, that guy wanted to teach me. Um, but there are so many things for which there was no solid answer. You know, well, I believe that when we die, we go here. How do you know that? How do you know that? Give me, I want something concrete. How do you know that? You're teaching me this. How do you know? Where did you get that information from? Well, everybody knows. No, no, everybody, everybody knows not a good answer for me. How do you know? Where do I find this at? How do I confirm these things? And then he throws it back. Well, how do you know? Because Jesus died and rose and came back again. Where'd you get that from? I got that from the Bible. How do you know the Bible's the word of God? The Bible's the only book that's ever accurately foretold the future. So if any book in the world is going to tell me where I go when I die, it's going to be the Bible. If the Bible's the only book, more than a thousand times the Bible has said, this is going to happen in the future, and it happens every single time. And a few things that haven't happened yet, the stage is set for them to happen. There ain't no other book like that. There is no other religious writing that has that credential to it. Where it's foretelling things accurately over and over and over again. It haven't been changed. And so if it was false about anything, it would have been found out. It just keeps being found out true over and over again. I had a buddy that just got back from Israel and he's just getting back from Israel. Constantly, if you go to Israel, they're, they're digging and they're digging and excavating, you know, trying to find where certain things took place. And do you know where they look to to get the information? The Bible. Even non-believers, even archaeologists that are not believers in the Bible say that the Bible is correct archaeological, as far as its archaeology, where it says things took place. And they'll take the Bible and search it out, find the region, start digging, and they find the stuff right there where the Bible said it happened. They can't say that about the Quran. They can't say that about any other of the Eastern religions. No other spiritual writings, just the Bible. So I feel like our, our faith is solid, and it's in something solid, which is the Word of God. Amen? And so moving forward now, Verse eight, it says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And let me just go back up. There's quite a list here. But first of all, he says that the law is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing and the law has its place. What does the law do? We know from other places that the law is a schoolmaster to help bring us to Christ. The law is not something for us to be brought under as believers. What the law does is show the non-believer that you're a non-believer. And so Um, A lot of people use in their sharing of the gospel, 
Um, if you look at Ray Comfort, the way that he does evangelism, he uses the law in his presentation of the gospel. And I think it's effective when you're speaking to someone that's not saved, but they think that they're good enough for heaven. Um, then the law is great for that. First Timothy 4, verse 7 through 10 says this, Training yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We all know exercise is good for the body, but have you considered lately how your soul needs exercise too? We have a long race ahead of us before we get to go home to the Father, and we need to be in shape for the journey. You've made a great first step by being here with us on a transforming word. Hearing the word of God transforms our lives. What's your next training step? Is it to spend some time in prayer or perhaps to go out and find a place to serve? Or maybe it is to take the step of giving. Whatever it is, embrace your soul training today. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. In this series, Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of 1 Timothy, where we find many golden nuggets of wisdom for the journey. If your next step in training is to give, hop on over to calvaryinglewood.org to give online. Or you can download our app and give from there. Once again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thank you for being a part of this ministry. We'll see you here next time as we journey together here on A Transforming Word.